Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, a look at the election and what comes next when it comes to media. So we at CJR a couple of years ago started thinking through how can we do a better job of being a watchdog of the press. And we came up with this idea of appointing public editors for the big media outlets to do what the outlets weren't doing themselves, which was to appoint a sort of ombudsman internally. And we now have a terrific group watching MSNBC, CNN, the New York Times, and the Washington Post. I thought it would be great to go go to our public editors and ask them how the election played out for the news outlets that they watched, and then also what is likely to happen going forward in terms of the press coverage of whatever this period that we're now in with Trump, and also coverage of the new Biden administration. I'm thrilled to be joined today with our public editors at CJR, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Let's start with Maria. Hi, I'm Maria Bustias, and I am the CJR public editor for MSNBC. I'm Hamilton Nolan. I'm the public editor for The Washington Post, and uh, I'm also a labor reporter at In These Times. Uh, my name is Ariana Picari, and I am the public editor for CNN. Hi, Gabriel Snyder. I am the public editor for The New York Times. Gabriel is going to... Um... He's going to become a little bit more unhinged as we go on because he's under a blanket and is sort of will slowly begin to bake like a turkey. Um, so thank you all for being here. It's been amazing having you, and I look forward to continuing to do this. First off, let's start. Let's just start by talking about is that press conference that Trump did have that people cut away from where he was sort of saying that, you know, that there was all this fraud and, and it was celebrated as a, like a big show of backbone, mainly by, you know, by the networks that cut away from, but it, it did strike me that like, you know, the fact that it, it was happening after everybody had voted and after the, the presidential term was pretty much over was as, was as notable as anything. Why do you think they have been so reluctant to be more aggressive? Well, this is the institution that we're supposed to respect the most in this country. We've all grown up respecting the institution of the presidency. It's supposed to be a person, you know, who's who's capable and and worthy of admiration. And it, it's that thing broke. Yeah. Ariana, what did you what do you make? You spent a lot of time working in um, cable news before you switched over to the work with the good guys. You have said that a lot of this is just about ratings, right? That the reluctance of people to sort of cut cut the Trump drip is just about their un, un, inability to sort of move away from the ratings that he gives them. Is, is that how you sort of think about like their inability to get their heads around being more aggressive towards him? I would say that's uh, a large part of it. I mean, we're all humans. And so there's a certain aspect where we all want to gawk at, you know, the, the crazy man in the corner um, and whatever crazy thing might be happening. So I do think it's a combination, but as journalists, I feel like it's really your responsibility to have a stronger understanding and mission in terms of what we're supposed to be doing. And so no, to put blinders on it sometimes when, when uh, it's called, you know, when it's called for, or when you know it's a deliberate distraction tactic, or um, keep your focus on the things that are really more important and substantial rather than, uh, you know, getting sidelined by, by some, some spectacle. 
And that's where I feel like journalists have really failed. And, you know, coming out of, you know, the first debate, I felt like, you know, they were shocked that, that Donald Trump acted the way that he did. And to me, it was just like, you know, when I see that, my, my, my eyes roll back in my head because it's like, we know how he is. We know how he behaves. And no, it's not like, that was not at all surprising to me. And so to watch journalists who have been covering him for as long as they have and covering politics for as long as they have and, you know, are professional observers of the world, I expect more from them. And so when I see that reaction, again, it comes back to, to they're just trying to um, pump up the outrage and get a visceral, visceral reaction out of the audience. So they go along with that human feeling that they have where they're abdicating their responsibility as journalists. And, and that is what, you know, that's what I constantly see. And yeah, when you, when you write that, or when we publish that, we inevitably get like a lot of pushback from individual reporters or even individual producers saying, you guys are painting us with a really broad brush that I, I don't, that's not the way I think about it. That's not the way I make these decisions. I even heard, I even got into like an exchange with somebody at Fox about like, he's like, well, you guys say Fox does all these things, but I, I, I can show you a lot of cases where I did something different. And there's this like, just in a, there is, there is a, there's this sort of what the organization does collectively and then how individual people see themselves and their own, and their own actions within the machine. And there's a, there's a gap there. Right. Um, and I find that sort of fascinating. How do you, how do you look at it and how do you sort of, how do you explain that? I think there's a huge disconnect that, I mean, what Ariana was saying about that first debate, I kind of disagree with that a little bit. It was enormously, it was different even from Trump's regular behavior. It was like turning up the heat and acting even crazier and more vulgar and more hostile and yelling and, you know, infectious. And, you know, the response to this all over the world was just different to me in character from what had gone before. So it's really hard to keep your bearings, you know, when it's like yeah. it's quicksand. Yeah. Gabriel, you watched uh, the, the times. Um, that seems to me that that's kind of a different issue in, in that there is a lot of, of internal sort of schism there about how they did and how they covered this race and how they covered Trump in general. That's now really bubbling up, but your thoughts on how they think they did i think it's been i mean this has been a really um you know wonderful time to watch the times closely because i think the last four years has been a moment which um sort of following ariana was saying that they've had to really question what is their role in in, in, in producing journalism um you know i think they, they also changed quite a big, a great deal from certainly 2017 to 2020, but um, even, you know, 2018 when we started this project um, to now. Um, so I think, you know, they, they probably have that feeling of um, the changes that I've seen, um, you know, in the, last, in the last couple of months is they got much more aware about sort of their role in um in the media ecosystem. Um, and they also became uh, more willing to, you know, kind of 
call out lies as lies or, um, you know, describe the various disinformation campaigns that were trying to manipulate them and other media outlets um, in a way that they were very uncomfortable in doing in the past. So, um, so to that degree, I'm sure they're, 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 they're quite pleased with, um, you know, the progress. I mean, um, there internally, as you say, there is, uh, quite a lot of, um, there's a lot of different opinions, um, inside and, and there's been a lot of different attempts to explain that, um, you know, New York magazine just issued, published one of the, the latest attempts, um, that kind of followed this you know, Twitter woke, um, battle against the old, the old guard. Um, and, and I, I think one of the, having read, you know, not just the times, but also all of the writing about the times very closely, um, it's, it, you know, the, the inability to describe what's going on at the times, I think as an outsider, um, in some ways mirrors the inability of the times to describe to themselves what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I, I guess, you know, I, I get a sense of, of, of soul searching, um, from, from them right now. Um, I think the, and, and, and I think that's you know, a good and human thing. I mean, going through 2016 as a journalist, um, was very difficult because it became clear that what many journalists thought they were doing was not working. Um, yeah. there was not a, you know, we were not guiding the national dialogue in the way that I think we sometimes flatter ourselves into, into believing. Um, right. And so they've been coming to terms with, with that. Um, they're a very powerful institution, but they certainly do not, you know, set the agenda as they probably thought they once did. Yeah. Hamilton, it seems to me that there's a powerful impulse right now for a lot of these organizations, but also, you know, it's wider than that to sort of say, Oh, that that sucked. Let's let's sort of thank God we can get back to how everything was. Um, thank thank God we can sort of like now pick up where we left off and move on. And that seems to be that seems to apply to political journalism too. I mean, you sort of sense that. I remember the Monday before the election, uh, the Times wrote a piece starting to game out sort of twenty twenty four game out who was gonna lead the Republican National Committee. They even sort of speculated that Don Jr. could sort of play a role in that and and they quoted somebody saying like he would be amazing because he's got all this support and, and it's just it, it just sort of struck me as the kind of story you would have read like six years ago, as if none of this had ever happened. What is your what is your guess in terms of whether um, a lot of this stuff that we're talking about in terms of how people need to rethink all this is going to be kind of taken, taken to heart. Yeah. I mean, the long-term trends are bad for, for, uh, the kind of view of objective journalism that, that, you know, governs big media institutions for the past 60, 70 years. Um, you know, that said, I, I would say that actually the media, the real media outside the right-wing media did a pretty good job of covering Trump um, in this election cycle, something that you probably wouldn't say for 2016 when mm. I think a lot of, a lot of, a lot of us, including me did not take him seriously enough, did not take his chances seriously enough um, in 2016. And a lot of the, the problems uh, flowed from that. And I would say that this, this time around, um, 
you know, the New York Times and the Washington Post and and these kinds of media outlets uh, did a pretty good job of of reporting on the terrible things that Trump and the Trump administration were doing. Um, you know, the underlying problem is much more about the fact that, you know, as Gabe touched on, these media institutions no longer have the power to save us. You know, <laughs> we have become so uh, partisan and balkanized in this country and particularly in terms of media consumption that, you know, the fact that the New York Times and the Washington Post did great Pulitzer worthy reporting on Donald Trump um, had essentially zero effect uh, in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that trend is something that we should all be worried about, you know, and that's not just a political trend. I think it's more of a technological trend than an economic trend. Um, but that is really going to gonna eat us all alive for uh, many election cycles to come, I think. So I guess maybe one thing that we discovered, uh, you know, during the the term of Donald Trump was that the media cannot save us anymore. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, even in 2016, I, I uh, one of my colleagues at Gawker uh, during the 2016 primaries, Ted Cruz was accusing the media of, you know, not reporting Donald Trump scandals and going soft on Donald Trump when he was running against Trump in the primaries. And one of my colleagues at Gawker wrote a post that that was like, Ted Cruz, please help us. We have no idea how to stop Donald Trump. And it was a list of, you know, a dozen scandalous Trump things that we'd run. Mm -hmm. And there was no effect, you know, and Mm -hmm. and we've seen that, you know, that kind of trend has only intensified. And, you know, it's even more true in cable news world, which is um, whether people think they're partisan or not. The, you know, the audiences in cable news particularly are so locked into that, that there's, there's very little ability for them to move the needle in the real world. So, um, yeah, that, that is a big issue that is going to take some antitrust reform and a lot of other things to, to touch on. Yeah. I mean, I think that last point you made is so interesting that, um, you know, that, that all of this work had little impact on the vote. Um, Although we'll never know for sure. It could have been whatever. Um, but And I know that there is a kind of old school journalism view that says, well, we have to do even we have to do what we're going to do, um, whether people want it or not. You know, we're, we, we need to write these stories and people may not think they're important initially, but we think they're important. And we think in the long term, they're going to have an impact. Um, curious what other people think about that and also if 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 you believe as i do that hamilton's right that if you're writing stuff and it's not registering you've got a problem and you need to rethink how you're approaching your job what is the thing that people need to do to sort of change that dynamic it can be fixed in one day this this problem can be fixed in one day by breaking up facebook and regulating it yep and google i mean as soon as there is transparency and you know the gaming of information that goes out to the people in the in this country and elsewhere in the world can be seen for what it is we're going to continue to have this problem we have one problem and it is how the internet is not transparent so 
um, Hamilton's right about antitrust activity that needs to happen immediately. And, you know, we have to hope that the incoming administration is not too milk toast and mealy mouth to actually get on with what we need because, you know, leading media organizations will return to their position of influence once this toxic influence is removed. Gabriel, you agree with that? Um, I do. I do. I, I, I take that, well, a tangent on that, because I, I, I think that's absolutely true in, in, in big peaks. But I think within newsrooms, that view, um, you know, that's certainly a view that I think commands a lot of sway in certain quarters of the, of the times that I've, I've come across this sort of we report and then, you know, what other people do with it is, 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 is on them. And I think the, you know, the, the, the realization that I've had in thinking about how these, this plays out with them is that that statement is embedded in a certain kind of politics that I don't think works the same way. Um, you know, the, the, if you were to just, you know, in the briefest of terms, describe the politics of the United States in 1988 versus 2020, um, you know, it, it, the dynamics have completely changed. And that idea that journalism is a, you know, a, a kind of a fact gatherer, a, 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 an objective report issuer that then other parties um, react to simply doesn't work the same way. And so journalists who think that they can continue to play the same role as they did in a, you know, um, a kind of a centrist two-party um, consensus kind of based system um, are going to continue to be confused that their, um, their, their efforts do not have anywhere close to the same results that they, that they expect. Um, so I think, you know, there's, a, there's, uh, in addition to the, you know, we've got to figure out what kind of media industry and, and ecosystem that we want as a, as a, as a country um, through our antitrust system. I think that we're also going through a major shift as to what kind of politics do we want? What does the politics of the YouTube and Netflix kind of siloization look like compared to the politics of, you know, the broadcast evening news where there was a, um, an accepted dominant mainstream media. Um, and, and I think those, those issues are now, playing out um, in, in a big way um, on both in, in both the left and the right. You have, um, you know, the Democrats have, have, you know, reacted to winning the presidential election by a huge infighting, and the Republicans are in for it too. Um, you know, this question of what does the Republican Party look like without Trump in office is is not resolved. So so I think that they're, they're you know, in both terms, the antitrust and just sort of the, the, the larger sort of political science things, there are big issues at play, um, and, and 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 it will have to be resolved until uh, before we can say what you know journalism should and um, and will look like. One of my big points of frustration um, is watching. You know, I, I've written about this about how you know, I watched organizations make the same mistakes in 2016 as as they have in this past election cycle, and um, there was. In both cycles, a lot of great journalism, um, but it did get distorted by uh, Facebook and cable. And on ca- on the cable side, I saw story. The omission is what created the distortion. 
So there were, you know, if you look back at this last cycle, there were lots of stories out there about, uh, you know, questions that some people had about Biden. There just wasn't the enthusiasm, you know, within the the electorate at large, but also within um, communities of color. And, you know, there was great reporting by Tim Alberta on that point. There, um, the Daily, the New York Times was you know, did a lot out in the field talking to people. And that gets lost. You know, a lot of it gets lost in general to the internet. Um, But that's why I feel like it's so incumbent on, you know, especially cable broadcasters who are a mouthpiece and they can get that story out better and create a better picture of what is happening in the country. And they are so uh, single focused on, you know, the, both cycles. They were so focused on Trump, who dominated the, the coverage the, to the point where people didn't really know what was happening. And they, they should have known because that information was out there. And a lot of, you know, there, people are, you know, saying how the polling was bad now. Well, you know, I didn't trust the polling because I'm reading some of these other stories and saying, well, you know, I think this election is going to be a lot closer than some people think it is. And um, it, it was, it was to me, it was just an eye-opening um, and, and shocking that, that it, that it shocked so many people. Um, and I feel like that's one point where broadcasters can do a lot of self-reflection. Um, mm. I, I don't know that it will happen, but um, that's uh, that was a failure, I think, on their part. So, I mean, this whole the whole thing about uh, breaking up Facebook and Google and Twitter, maybe I don't know. I, I I understand it, and I and I and I think that would be enormously helpful. But I also fear that it lets the rest of the media off the hook and sort of diverts their ire to them and, and and doesn't have it focus on themselves and ask sort of like what did we you know granted this this toxic ecosystem is there and that's what we're living in now but um what there's there's still i don't think is enough thought about what could we do better what what how could we and this is what Ariana was just talking about but like what else could we do to sort of better connect with people given that this is the environment that we're in there's a huge problem at MSNBC, like if this is, speaks to like what everybody else has been saying about the future of, of the parties, right? Because there's uh, constituencies within MSNBC, which is wrongly looked at as, you know, the left network. It really isn't. It's, it's, it, it's a microcosm of the struggles that, that Gabriel was mentioning. You have the never Trumpers like Nicole Wallace and... Uh, you know, Joe Scarborough, people like that, former Republicans who are actually in government, you know, who are actually have a visible motive of sort of reconstituting or rehabilitating the Republican Party. They don't denounce it openly. So these are really prominent voices on that network. And then on the other sort of poll, you have, you know, Chris Hayes, who really isn't that far left, you know, and Rachel Maddow. And this is presented as a as sort of some kind of glossy unified force when it really is not that. Now these, mm-hmm. these, this struggle is sort of, it's it's exacerbated by the sort of Facebook extremism, you know, that like the, the way people 
tend because of the the nature of uh, how ideas are amplified on the internet, you know, to create hostility where there should be rigorous examination. And I would say that's the answer to your question. There's like the biggest thing that media needs to do from here on out is to uncover and detail exactly what this administration got up to. I think it's like the most mm-hmm. important thing. I, I, it, it's, I find it very troubling that the president-elect has come out and said, you know, we want to reckon. No, we don't want a reconciliation. We want an accounting as mm-hmm. Media professionals, we can do a lot about that and just demand and look and ask and find the whistleblowers because if if we have the faintest hope of regaining the trust of, of readers and viewers, it is in that. It is in being absolutely rigorous and talking about what happened and not ostriching out about it. You think it's going to happen? Yeah. You do? Who was yeah. chiming in there, Gabriel? I, I was... I was just going to say, Kyle, another answer to your question about what the media can do to connect better is, is, uh, you know, we have to have newsrooms that look like the country and Mm -hmm. that is very much, uh, still a work in progress. Um, and I think that is another issue where, um, media organization and particularly elite media organizations that have the ability to basically hire anyone, um, like the New York times, the Washington post, um, are definitely making progress on that front. And it, 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 a lot of times this gets branded with the buzzword of diversity um, and, and kind of portrayed as if it's some sort of happy social justice goal. Um, but really, I think this is one of the biggest takeaways from the failures of 2016 in covering Trump was that, uh, you know, newsrooms did not have that diversity, meaning not only racial diversity and gender diversity, but economic diversity, geographic Mm. diversity. You know, when you're running a national newsroom, that newsroom has to represent uh, the nation that you're covering. Mm. And clearly we're not there yet, Um, especially at, you know, some some places idea of diversity is, is like hiring a black person from Yale. Um, and that we need to do better than that. And again, like a lot of the unions uh, within media uh, are really pushing this as a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it needs to be seen as an editorial priority because it makes coverage better and it makes your coverage more accurate and more reflective of the reality of the nation that you're trying to cover. And that's, you know, when you talk about catching those trends like, um, growing Trump support in different communities. I mean, you have to have people coming out of those communities who know inherently what's happening to, to be able to get those things in real time. So I think that's a, that is a, a serious goal um, that, that the whole industry needs to take seriously and not see as sort of a, you know, <laughs> a buzzword thing, but as a serious mm-hmm. um, journalism goal. Mm-hmm. And also one other point is that um, we're seeing kind of a, we're moving toward a situation where all the news is national, you know, I mean, the erosion of local news and the collapse of the business model of local news means that more and more people are getting their news um, on the internet and from cable news. And, and that's national news, you know, and you're seeing that reflected in the polarization of politics, you know, local political races are becoming reflective of, do you support Trump or not? Do you support these national issues? 
And that is tied to the collapse of, of the ecosystem of local news that's existed in this country since it was founded. And that itself is, you know, fueled again by Google and Facebook. So mm-hmm. I think that it's hard to escape um, the reality that Google and Facebook have sucked all the money at, out of this industry and it's leading to a lot of bad consequences. There was a horrific example of this at MSNBC a few months back during the Portland disaster where MSNBC kind of accidentally asked a white supremacist leader of the Patriot Prayer Group all these questions and without mentioning that this dude was under indictment. Mm. It was really incredible. So every, every local journalist in Portland completely like, you know, what, you know? And so these are the guys with the giant audience. You know, MSNBC mm. is showing this to millions of people and all the reporters in Portland who are like breaking their hearts trying to get the actual word out. All their work is basically erased by these like really dumb failures on the part of national media. So Hamilton's completely right. And we have to try to do everything we can to address it. What I was going to say, I mean, I, I think, you know, the, the point about diversity, um, you know, it's clearly a you know, top problem at many newsrooms. Um but I think it's, it, it is, we were watching it become very much a two-part problem where, um, you know, the idea of um, diversifying the demographics of a staff um, is, is, is seen as a goal, but then what to do with the, the new viewpoints within the staff, mm-hmm. um, how to actually have a diversity of, of, of opinions or um, is, 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 is giving, um, giving a lot of newsrooms fits. Um, and so I think the, you know, one of the, the things that um, outlets like the Times and the Post and um, and even in, in CNN, maybe a little less so MSNBC because it has an ideological bent, but is figuring out how to move beyond the, um, the you know, objective, objectivity stance of having no opinion and being able to forcefully advocate for principles that the organization does believe in. Um, you know, for example, if to take diversity, um, you know, it's not simply a numbers game. It's a, um, it's a belief in what America is. It is a multiracial, a multi-ethnic society, and that is one of its strengths, and that should be celebrated, is the reason why, you know, a lot of people are, have been pushing for diversity. Um, it's, it, and so to be able to encapsulate that, that viewpoint, um, especially now that it is in opposition to people who very much think that, you know, the, the, the white nationalist viewpoint has, has, has been an ascendancy. And I don't think these organizations have had, have, have figured out a way to, um, to talk about even in, in these big bedrock, um, moral principles, what they believe in and what's important to them. Um, and so um, I think that's that's a real, you know, I, I, I would like to see, um, you know, the, 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 it, it's been a treacherous um, arena for, for the Times. I mean, most recently, one of their largest attempts at that was the, around the 1619 Project. And, um, and that is, I think, viewed, well, it's, it, you can read the pages of the paper and it's viewed controversially um, within it. Um, you can go back to the days of Hal Raines when he was, you know, accused of crusading. Um, I think the specific issue was about um, the Augusta Golf Club 
um, admitting women, um, women members. Um, and it really, you know, that there was, there's this longstanding belief that taking those kinds of moral stands and, and, and making it clear to your readers and, and, and using it to guide your coverage is, you know, not, it, it, it is not within their, 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 um, their ballywick. And I think that's something that they're going to need to change. Well, this has been great. Thank you all. I know that you guys get a lot of grief for this job. <laughs> but I really appreciate it. And I think it's really important and it's going to remain so as we head into this, whatever this new chapter is. It was great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank I really you. enjoyed it. Thank and you. I enjoy every bit yeah. of grief I get too. I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> so you can read all of the public editors work on CJR.org as well as follow them via our daily email newsletter, the media today and watch us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Mm -hmm.